As you can see on the screen, we are not going into Zechariah again this evening. It's been a long break in our series through Zechariah, but since we have our spiritual family night next Sunday evening, I decided we'd hold off a little bit longer, jumping back into our series through Zechariah. We've waited this long. I thought it makes sense to wait till we actually get a string of, of Sunday evenings together before we start a new session. So this evening, I just want to spend some time thinking about our prayers, our prayer life. It's on my mind, if you notice in the bulletin, that uh, we're having a pastor's retreat this week. That means uh, Pastor Aaron and Carl and I are getting away for a few days. And part of what we do during our pastoral retreat is we take the directory and we pray through the church directory, praying for everybody. We spend a lot of time praying for the ministry. We also spend some time reading and thinking and doing things of that nature. But but prayer is on my mind, so I, I thought we'd spend some time thinking about our prayers this evening. What do your prayers sound like if you listen to yourself? What, what is it that God is hearing from you? How much time do you spend in your prayers giving God thanks for things? Uh, I, I think all of us have to admit, if we're honest, that we, we do not spend near as much time thanking God as we spend time asking God. We're much better asking than, than thanking. Yet, let's think a little bit deeper even. Of the time we spend giving thanks, when we do thank God, how much of that time is spent giving thanks to God for things he has done in our own lives that, that just make our life more convenient for us? We are self-centered creatures, aren't we? Our prayers even reveal that self-centeredness because we tend to, to think about our prayers, God, uh, our, ourselves, we thank God for making our lives easier. We, we thank him for simplistic things like food, and, and we thank him for a good day. A, a sim simple examination of our prayers revealed this self-centeredness. I'm convinced, though, that we can learn to think differently. I'm convinced we can learn to behave differently. I'm convinced we can learn to pray differently. Because the Spirit of God is transforming us. As believers in Jesus Christ, he is doing a work within us. We can learn through the Word of God to, to leave our self-centeredness progressively behind and become increasingly God-centered in our lives. Examining the, the content of our prayers can, can help us measure the, the progress in this transformation. Prayers coming from lives that are God-centered are going to sound distinctly different than prayers coming from lives that are self-centered. This evening, I want us to take one of Paul's prayers in the New Testament and, and examine that. Paul's prayers can teach us a lot. We, we can learn from, from Paul what a God-centered prayer sounds like. And, and surprisingly, they, they involve, as you can guess from the, the title of the screen, one of the central things that we find in a God-centered prayer is there's a distinct thankfulness for each other. Thankful for each other. This evening we're going to look at, the, the, at two of the very early verses in the second letter to the, the church in Thessalonica. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a very young church that he had planted personally on his second missionary journey. According to Acts 17, Paul had only a few weeks in the city before hostile Jews drove him out of town. 
Paul, you could either find um, in jail or being run out of town, it seems like, is, is the, the tenor of his ministry. And this was a case where he was run out of town quickly. He, the, the Jews came around and, and created an uprising that drove him away after just a, a few weeks. So he left behind some very new believers in this city. So he wrote two letters to this infant church, trying to strengthen them in the faith after he had to leave the, the verses we're going to focus on this evening are, are verses 3 and 4. They're in the first chapter. But since it's so early, let's go ahead and look at the first couple of verses and see how Paul leads into the, this record of his prayers. Paul writes there in verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and T Timothy, to the church of the Thessalon Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is church Paul, as I said, planted himself. He, he was there sharing the gospel. He was there organizing them in, in those early weeks before he left town. He, he was the one that started this church. And yet notice the perspective of the origin of the church there in verse 1. The church in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is ensuring that the church understands he is not the one that they owe their existence to. It's the work of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that brought them to the point where they're here. God the Father planned their salvation. He initiated the activities that, that resulted in the church. And, and Jesus Christ accomplished those activities both by dying on the cross, rising again, and also being the one in whom they are now, his body. So both God the Father and Jesus Christ are the source of the church's existence. The same thing is true for our church. God the Father and God the Son are the reason we exist. First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights doesn't exist because there's been a string of pastors and deacons and teachers and other leaders. It exists because God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ created our church. He is the, the source of it. Yes, these men that he has used throughout the history ha have served their function. They, they've been agents and, and, and tools of God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, but ultimately our church is here because of God and Christ. Both God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Paul reminds the, the church, are also the source of grace and peace. God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, they, they combine to provide the grace and peace with which Paul greets the church. We too, when we gather, we are experiencing grace and peace through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we bring as we come here. God the Father sent his son to die so that peace could be ours. Sin had separated us, as I reminded us this morning, from the Father Christ paid the penalty for that sin. Now God offers us grace of forgiveness through faith in Christ. Christ died and rose again so that we could experience that grace of forgiveness, that we could experience the, the peace that comes with reconciliation. So in the simple words there of greeting in verse 2, Paul summarizes the heart of the gospel. This is the gospel. The church in Thessalonica was there because God worked through the gospel. So this focus on the Father and Christ, that's the foundation of it and the source of all the provisions for the church. 
that, that forms the framework here of Paul's thoughts as we move into verse 3. In the next two verses, Paul gives us a lesson on, on offering thanks to God, but he does it within this framework of recognizing that everything comes from God the Father and from Lord Jesus Christ. He, he gives us a, a lesson of offering thanks within this framework, and, and because of this framework, rather than simplistic things for, for which we frequently offer thanks, Paul shows us a much more mature spiritual view, a, a view that resonates within this, this rich theological framework. As we mature in our spiritual understanding, as we grow in the, the work of, of God in us, we too should, should have our prayers taking on a more theological framework. We should be looking at the world differently. We should be recognizing what the Father and the Son have done in us and for us and, and through us. And as we do that, we should change how we are thankful. As we understand what God is doing, we should progress in the things for which we're thankful. From Paul's example, the, the overall thing we see is, is that we should thank God for what he is doing in each other. Rather than being self-centered, we start looking beyond ourselves. And we see what God is doing in other people. The people sitting around us tonight, these are the people that make up the body of Jesus Christ. These people sitting around us tonight are the church. These are the, the recipients of that grace and peace. We should be thankful for these people. We should thank God for what he is doing in each other. Let's read our, our two verses tonight. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Notice how Paul begins here. He says, we ought always give thanks to God for you. In other words, giving thanks to God is something that should just be normal for us. It should be a standard fare in our prayer. And in fact, he says it's only fitting that, that this is what would make up our prayers, that as we approach God and we think about all that God has done, you should pop into our minds. It's only appropriate that our prayers contain thanks for each other. Last week, as we were given the, the report on Chad, Mike and I mentioned that funeral that I spoke at when, when I was there. Now, when I went to Chad, I had not planned I would be speaking at a funeral. So when I packed for Chad, I had not planned for a funeral. My wardrobe was, shall we say, limited. Um, I didn't know what I had that would be appropriate from, from what I had with me, I didn't know what would be appropriate for a Chadian funeral. So what did I do? I, I asked the missionary lady, Carol, that we stayed with. What would be appropriate? Here's what I've got. I ha and I had two options. The things I packed, I had a white shirt with a tie. And I had that um, bright pattern red and, and, and tan Chadian dress shirt that you saw in a couple of the pictures. Those were my options. Well, she immediately advised me to wear the Chadian shirt. She said, uh, in Chad, it's inappropriate funeral attire to wear white for the men. Women would wear white, but men would not. It, it was not fitting at a funeral. 
before we even look at the specific things for which we should be thanking God, I, I want us to realize that thanking God is something Paul says ought to be done. It is fitting. It is appropriate. It is right. What is not appropriate is thankless prayers. What is not fitting is prayers that only thank God for things in our own lives. We need to learn to look beyond ourselves, to, to look to the people that God has connected to our lives, and, and to consider what God is doing in their lives and thank God for that. We should thank God for what we see. That's what Paul is modeling here for us in this verse. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting. We should thank God for what he is doing in each other. In the two verses that, that we already read together, there are three specific things topics, if you will, that, that should find slots in our prayers. As we're going through, think about what's fitting, be praying for each other. These are three things that should find a slot within our prayers. Three things for which we should be thanking God as we think about the theological framework, the, the grace and peace that, that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These three things should be showing up because these are things that he's doing in the people around us. The first one, increased faith. There should be a slot in our prayer for increased faith. We should thank God for increased faith in each other. Certainly, we, we should thank God for saving faith. You know, when we see someone come to salvation, that is worth us giving God praise for. Saving faith comes as we see someone and submit to what God has said about sin and, and this redemptive work of Christ. We, we see this peace that of reconciliation take place in someone's life, there's no doubt that God deserves our thanks for saving faith. And every time I've seen someone come to salvation, I see us giving thanks to God for that. We get that. But Paul is not talking about saving faith coming to more and more people when he writes, your faith is greatly enlarged. Notice it's the first because. We ought to give thanks to God for you, brethren. It's only fitting because... Your faith is greatly enlarged. He's not talking about saving faith. These believers had already been saved. They, they had accepted Christ when Paul was there for those few short weeks before he was driven out of town. These believers were already part of this young church. They already had saving faith. So what is he referring to here when he says their faith being greatly enlarged? He, he's thanking God that that these new believers were taking their initial saving faith and then expanding that faith into new areas of their lives. He, he's thanking God that, that they have increasing, an increased understanding of what God's word says is, is appropriate for lives who are Christ-like. He's thanking God that they understand what God says is and is not proper Christian conduct and acting and actions. And then he's thanking God that not only have they learned, but now they're conforming to this newfound understanding. We might just say they're progressing in sanctification. We love our theological terms, right? That's what he's talking about. Progressive sanctification. They're... they're, they're Little kernel of saving faith is growing into life that resembles Christ. They're, they're progressing in their sanctification, becoming like Christ. 
It's affecting their lives to, to greater and greater degrees as their faith is being displayed. They're, they're showing this personal trust in God through obedience to God. God's transforming them so that they look more and more like Christ. Last week, I mentioned that some of the, the challenges that the Christian church and Chad faces because of the baggage of cultural heritage is quite daunting. There, there's a lot of issues there. And I didn't even go into all the things that we came up, for example, um, with the question raised. I've never had this question here. Can a man be a pastor if he has three wives? Can, can he put two of those wives away and then be qualified to be a pastor? Because they, they know... Um, First uh, Timothy three says, "Man of one wife." So, if he puts two two of his wife, three wives away, can he now be qualified to be a pastor? Like I said, I've never had that question here. But polygamy is a large part of the pagan heritage of Chad. For that matter, so is spousal abuse. It, it's assumed that that men will beat their wives. That's just a given in the culture. And in fact, the the missionaries were telling us that there was a Chadian woman took her husband to court. And one, because he did not love her as he ought. The proof they did not love her as he ought, he never beat her. Well, that's the culture. So many new believers bring the assumption of wife beating into their marriages and into the church. Even though they're now Christians, these things don't disappear. Remember, Paul's writing to a brand new church here. These Thessalonians have only been believers for a few weeks. But Paul introduced them to the word of God, and he left the word behind. And now if we follow the trail through, through Acts, he's heard a report. He, he sent a letter, and, and one of his co-workers carried the letter up there, and, and he got the report back, Sylvanius and Timothy. They, they took the first letter, they got the report of what's going on, they brought it back, so now he's sending another letter. They've only been believers for a short time, but after hearing the report from the church, he thanks God that God is transforming these believers, increasing their faith. That's the same reason and, and the same hope that, that creates faith that the short trips like what I took to Chad, teaching the, the word of God in, in, in places that have all this baggage behind them, why I believe that those short trips can have long-term transformative impact. God's word is that powerful. When people understand this is what God says, lives change. And you know what? The same thing is happening in the pews around us. We don't have to go to the other side of the world to see it. We all grow in our Christian lives as, as God works in us, as he shows us how we need to change so that, that we conform to the image of our Savior. Each person sitting around you tonight has God at work within them. I'm assuming on a Sunday night we're a group of believers here, that we've accepted Christ, we have saving faith. But God is not content to leave us with saving faith only, that he will increase our saving faith. He will expand it, enlarge it. What we need to learn from Paul's example is that we should be looking for that in each other. We, we should learn to spot the evidence that, that faith is being expanded. And when we see it, we should be thanking God. We should thank God for the work that he does in each other. 
it should be a key topic in our prayers, that slot, increasing faith. We should thank God for what he's doing in each other. So, number one, we thank God for increased faith. Paul gives a second topic as well in verse 3, another slot that, that should find a, a place in our prayer, the slot of increased love. Increased love. I, I certainly hope that, that we all know by now that our love for one another is to be one of the defining marks of Christian. After all, a few years ago, I, I did the whole series on developing genuine love, our Romans chapter 12. We spent several months working on that. Several times over the years, that I've no, I've pointed to John 13, 34, and 35, where, where Christ tells us that, that we are to be known by our love for one another. That's how the world will know that we're his followers. The, the, the idea of, of loving one another is not new. But that's the second concept that, that Paul brings up here. The second thing that he says that we should be thanking God for in verse 3 by the example he gives because Paul here thanks God for the increased love of these Thessalonians for each other. It's only fitting that I thank God for you because your faith is enlarged. And then he ties an and. The love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. the way in which Paul words this statement in the original, it highlights that this is the participation of each and every member of the church. It's not some of the people increasing love, or it's not some people increasing love for a certain group of people over here and, you know, every little group in their own clique. This is each person increasing love for every other person. It's throughout the church. It's this network of relationships that's expanding. Remember, Paul got that report back. He sent the first letter and they, they came back to him and told him how it's going. And from that first report, Paul's learned that every member of the church is increasing in their love for each other. If there's someone in the church that you tend to avoid so you don't have to deal with whether you truly love him or her, let me just say that's the person you need to make a point to go see each Sunday. You need to increase in your love to every person. We, we cannot avoid one another. We need to learn to love one another fully. You need to increase in your love for all the believers that, that God has placed around you, even those that may seem a little more irritating than others. Because the reality is probably all you have to do is look in the mirror and see the most irritating person this church has. At least in the opinion of somebody. We need to be increasing in our love for the men and women that the Savior has placed in our lives. And the reason we do that is because our Savior has died for those men and women. Paul makes the connection in verse 3 here between an increasing faith and a growing love for each other. The, the, the thought, the way he ties these together, is really love is, is simply a tangible expression of our faith. The, the genuineness of faith and, and the enlargement of faith is naturally working itself out through an increased expression of love for each other. These Thessalonians, they're, they're helping each other. They're caring for each other. They're, they're involved in each other's lives. They're, they're certainly not avoiding each other. 
Now, there's a connection between faith and love, and because of that connection, this is another reason that Paul can thank God. Because God is the one who gives it. God is increasing their faith, and that faith is expressing itself through increased love. John 17, 26, Jesus' high priestly prayer, they praise to the Father, the prayer he prayed with his disciples just before leaving the upper room. He says in that prayer, I have made your, praying to the Father, so Jesus is saying, I made, Father, your name known to them, to these disciples, and will make it known, so that love, the love with which you love me, may be in them and I in them. The only reason that Christians have real, genuine, sacrificial love for each other it's because the love of God is in them. Because it was planted there by Jesus Christ. Genuine Christian love is supernatural. It's a product of faith. As Paul hears about the different displays of, of love in the lives of Thessalonians, he thanks God for it. After all, thanking God is only fitting because God produced it. This is somewhat like I've observed at various times over the years. A person observes a child doing something, loving toward a friend. You know, once in a while, kids do these really nice things, right? And when we observe that, the, the person goes and compliments the parent to the child for the child's outstanding behavior. Why? Why would we tell the parent... A compliment because the child did something. Well, it's because we know the child's loving actions reflect ideas and behaviors that the parent has obviously instilled. God the Father is the one who's instilling love in his children. And when we see that reflected toward each other, it's proper and appropriate that, that God receives the thanks. We need to take Paul's lesson to heart here. We should thank God for genuine displays of love that we see happening between other people. We should also expect that, that these displays will be increasing. And as they do, so should our praise for God. This is one of those, as I was thinking about, it seems like it should be so easy, right? It's certainly not hard to understand what I'm saying. It, it, it should be easy to do this. Just spot love happening between others and thank God for it. It should be easy, but, but it really isn't. It, it's easy to take things for granted when they're done for us. We, we may thank the person but for, for doing something nice for us, but seldom do we actually thank God for someone doing something nice for us. Well, that challenge runs even deeper when we're personally external to the ac action. It's not involving us at all. We may hear about a loving thing that someone has done for someone else in and honestly, rather than rejoicing over it, sometimes we're jealous. How come they haven't done that for me? We are self-centered creatures after all, aren't we? How come they're being nice to that person, but they never have thought of me that way? Maybe we, we hear about loving action and, and we acknowledge, you know, that was really nice that they did that. And then we move on with our lives. After all, it didn't affect us at all. At least we're not being jealous, but... Yet thankfulness is what Christian maturity looks like. Our, our sin nature does not want 
us to be thankful to begin with. It's not natural, it's supernatural. So our sin nature, that which is natural, isn't a thankful nature. So this issue is compounded when, when none of the benefits are coming our way. But spiritual maturity is moving us to that which is supernatural. The grace of God allows us to begin to learn to thank God for the displays of love that happen between other believers even when we are not at all the beneficiaries in the act. We, we thank God that, that his increase of faith in, in lives are, are showing up in this tangible fashion. We, we thank God that others can see Christ's likeness on display as people become less and less self-centered, helping one another. We, we thank God for the, the loving testimony that he's producing for his church. And the more and more we thank God, the less and less room we leave in our own lives for jealousy. We, we actually become less self-centered ourselves as we thank God for the increased love of others. We mature in Christ's likeness ourselves by thanking God for others maturing in Christ's likeness. We should thank God for what he is doing in each other. That's the second topic here, an increased love. That's a slot that should come up that we should be thanking God for. What he's doing in each other, the increased love that we see on display between people within the church. That should have a spot in our prayers. Then in verse 4, we, we have a third topic that, that again, should find, find a slot in our prayers as we go to God. And that should be a slot of thankfulness for increased perseverance. Increased perseverance. Paul writes verse 4 as an encouragement to these young believers in Thessalonica. They're going through what Paul terms here, persecutions and afflictions. Those are ugly words, aren't they? Persecutions and afflictions. Paul doesn't dwell on, on the specifics of what they're going through. We, we know that he was run out of town, and that's only been a few weeks earlier, so things probably haven't gone a whole lot better in, in that sense for the church. What is clear is that this young church is suffering for their faith. As the letter goes on, the, the impression that we get is that this suffering is quite severe. In fact, it seems like the, this persecutions and afflictions, as he calls it, was so severe that, that many people in the, the church, many of these young believers, were convinced that they were living in the tribulation. Paul had taught about the tribulation that was coming. And they were convinced this must be it because that's how bad things were. And that created confusion that Paul has to address because they were trying to figure out how could they be in the tribulation when they understood the church should be raptured before the tribulation, but yet we're still here living in it. Are we not saved? You see the, the confusion that could come? So Paul deals with that. Whatever suffering they were going through, it's safe to conclude it was bad. It was severe. It was real. In verse 4, Paul encourages the church here by, by telling them that he's proud of them. He's proud of their perseverance and their faith. He's so proud that he's, he's telling other believers about them. So here he is telling these believers, I'm proud of you telling others about you. I'm holding you up essentially as you are the, the poster church as I go around to all the other cities saying, what should a church look like? Thessalonica. They're the ones. Model them if you need to model a, a church. 
the, the, the term that, that we have given to us here the, in our verse, the one that we have translated speak proudly, literally that term carries the idea of boasting. Paul is boasting about their perseverance in faith. He's bragging on them. They are living examples of, of perseverance during persecution and affliction. It's always good to hear someone's proud of you, isn't it? Especially if the person is a father figure. It's, it's good to hear dad is, is proud of you. I'm sure all of us have seen children swell in, in confidence and joy when, when they hear their praise from their father. Well, think about how Paul's words uh, of pride in them would encourage these persecuted believers. They're going through this hard trial. They're struggling with, with this suffering. And here, the one that they see as their spiritual father says, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you, I'm telling others how good you are in standing for faith. Still, what I want us to think about for a moment is why Paul freely brags about the Thessalonians. Why does he think it's a good idea to, to go around boasting about their perseverance and faith? Can't it give them a big head? Isn't it wrong to brag on people? Well, look at the first word of verse 4. Therefore. Therefore. With, with that word, Paul ties the thoughts of verse 4 directly to verse 3. In fact, verse 4 becomes the logical conclusion that, that's drawn from verse 3. Verse 3 is where Paul's thanking God for the things that God's doing in the lives of these believers. He's increasing their faith. He's increasing their love for one another. And the logical conclusion of him thanking God is that he can now brag that these believers are persevering in their trials. Why is that? Because Paul recognizes every time he tells others about how these believers are holding up in their conflict, he is also bragging about God. God is the reason. God is the only reason that these believers can persevere. It's only through God's enabling and sustaining grace that, that they are now living examples of what perseverance during um, affliction and hardship looks like. So every time Paul holds up his poster church and says, here, look at this church, what he's also doing at the same time is testifying to the power of God to work in the lives of, of believers. And, and here lies the last topic for us this evening. There are times that, that, that we see people going through trials. Now, not too many people that we know are going through what we would call persecution and affliction because of their faith in Christ. That does happen in other places in the world. I told you about how it happened in Chad, and, and we know it's happening in China and in Myanmar and places. But it doesn't happen to us, or at least not yet. We don't have that kind of persecution in experience of trials. Still, there are people in our church going through afflictions of other sorts. People who are sitting around us right now, people who are sitting next to us this morning, people that were unable to sit by us because of their afflictions that kept them home. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should not pray for God to remove those afflictions if that's God's will. But notice Paul does not pray for anything like that with these Thessalonians. Paul never prays that God would take their persecutions and afflictions from them. In fact, 
Throughout the New Testament, prayers seldom deal with improving the circumstances of believers. What we need to take away from this verse is that when people are going through afflictions and we see them persevering in their faith, we should praise God. We should thank God that he's enabling them to persevere through his enabling grace. We, we should thank God for how he might use their trials to, to further his name. How he might use them to increase his, his fame throughout the world. How, how he might use their trials to make them poster children of faith. We should thank God that really... Their perseverance is evidence of increased faith. Now, on a side note, I think it's safe to say that it's also acceptable for us to tell people that we're proud of the way they're persevering in their faith. When, when we see God enabling people to endure trials, we can tell them, we praise God for the way you're enduring. After all, that, that's what Paul is doing here in verse 4 for the Thessalonians. And, and those comments can be an encouragement to people to continue if they, they go through trials and hardships. God can use our words to strengthen perseverance. But there should be a slot in our prayers that we also thank God because we know he is the one enabling their perseverance. We th should thank God for what he is doing in each other. We should look around and see what God is doing and increase perseverance is one of those topics that we should be looking for. And when we see it, it should show up in our prayers that we thank God for this increased perseverance that, that comes as a result of, of his work in lives. We should thank God for what he is doing in each other. Thankfulness really should be a standard part of our prayers. It should not be an exception in our prayers. It should not be a minor part. It should be a significant part of our prayers. Furthermore, our own lives should not be the sole focus of our thankfulness. Our thankfulness should include what God is doing in the lives of the other people within our church. T tonight we've looked at three topics that come out of these verses here. One, we should thank God for increased faith. We should anticipate that God will conform people to the image of Christ, that he will change them in a progressive fashion by, by allowing their faith to enlarge. And as we see those changes, we should thank God. Two, we should thank God for increased love. Genuine acts of love that, that we see directed towards other people that are displays of this transforming work of faith. When, when we see love growing, we should thank God. And then three, we should thank God for increased perseverance. God is the one who gives the enabling and sustaining grace that, that allows Christians to stand up during trial, to, to stand firm in their faith. We should thank God when we see that grace at work. We should thank God for what he is doing in each other. So look around at the people in this room. Spend time each week going through the directory. In, in our prayer sheet each week, we list a portion of our church. What is God doing in the lives of these people? Are you thankful for them? If so, why? What is it that God is increasing in their lives that you can thank God for? We should thank God for what he's doing in each other. Father, we do 
thank you that you are a faithful God, a good God, a powerful God, a God who continues to work in each of us. Father, we thank you for working in our lives, bringing us to be part of a church where we can see the work that you're doing in others as well. And I pray that tonight we would be challenged to consider what you are doing in the other people you've placed around us and thank you for that glorious work, that display of your grace and, and the peace that you give through the gospel, the transformation so that the people around us are becoming more and more like our Savior. Father, we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.